Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to see Jesus. And I pray that I will in no way get in the way of seeing and understanding him and what he is doing today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's one thing that a religion must do if it's to be successful. And if it does not do this one thing, it's a total failure. And that one thing is to reveal who God really is. Islam says God is a stern dictator, unapproachable, not interested in individual human beings. Hinduism shows us that there are many gods, and basically that God is impersonal and that God is an illusion with many appearances. Christianity alone reveals true God. There's one thing for certain, though. If God did not reveal himself to us, there is no way that we could know him. For the scripture says that God dwells in unapproachable light and no one has ever seen him. And had God so chosen when man fell, God could have turned his back on man, folded his arms and said what my mom used to say to me, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. But God did not choose to do that. We are told that in the fullness of time, God became flesh. He took the extraordinary step of becoming a human being, just like you and me, and walking among us. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. Jesus came at a very precise moment in history, the very Son of God. And what does Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, no one knows the Father. Well, if the one thing that true religion must do is to reveal God, and if no one knows the Father, we're lost. We have no hope. There's nothing for us because no one knows him. But then Jesus goes on to say, except the Son. And therefore we have hope because the Father is known at least to his only Son. But what does that do for you and me? Scripture then goes on to say out of the words of Jesus' mouth, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father wants to be seen, and Jesus wants to display the Father. And so we go back to John, the first chapter, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so our God is described as a communicating God. He's described as the Word, that very same Word that became flesh. As in our first reading when it said, Lord, you've given me a tongue. And so our God is there, and our God is not silent. Jesus is the complete communication of God himself. Colossians tells us he's the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created for him and by him. And he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, all of his fullness. When God wanted to show himself, he didn't cast a light onto the cloud and give us a static image, sort of like the Batman thing, you know, the bat, bat image up there. No, he didn't do that. 
He didn't send an angel. And angels are powerful beings. He didn't send an angel. God extraordinarily came himself in the form of his one and only son, Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And Hebrews tells us that the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so there is nothing of God that is not totally, fully, completely, exactly, and accurately revealed in the person and the actions of Jesus Christ. And so Philip, at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he's to be crucified, comes to him and says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus looks at him in astonishment and says, Philip, have I been with you for so long, and yet you ask me, show the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one, and I only do those things that the Father does. And if you can't believe that, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What is the name of God? The name of God is God's nature and God's character revealed in and through Jesus Christ, his Son. And when we ask for things that are according to his nature and his character, according to the character of Jesus, he will do it. This is not a name it and claim it type of gospel. This is finding out what Christ would do in a given situation and asking him to do it. Thy will be done on earth as it has already been done perfectly in heaven. And there's a secular historian by the name of Ramsey McMullen, a Yale historian who says, Christianity grew so rapidly in the first three centuries through the performance of miracles which are historically attested to. A Yale Secular historian, Christianity grew because of the performance of miracles which are historically attested to. So when Jesus, when God wanted to reveal himself to the world, he came as Jesus. And when Jesus wants to reveal himself to the world today, how does he come? He comes through his church. He comes through you and me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Real men and real women representing him around the world, and that is missions. Teach Us to Pray goes around the world. Most recently, we've been in Fiji. And we take in construction teams, and we take in doctors, and we take in dentists, and we take in evangelists, and we take in prayer teams, and we go door to door in the slums, proclaiming the living Christ and doing the things that the Father does. If you'd show that first slide, please. Went into the slums in Batawanga. There are over 70,000 people living in those slums, many of them living on $12 a day. We were building houses, 12 houses, and I had the pastor... You need to go back. Yeah, there we go. And had the pastor in the, in the slums determine for whom we would build these houses. And so he picked 12 people, and as it turned out, I told him, pick the, pick the ones that have the greatest need. Six of them were Christian, six of them were Hindu, and Hindus are the people that we're targeting with the gospel of Christ. 
And this slum has been uh, built on the edge of the ocean. And in order to build the slum, they went in and they kind of reclaimed the land, the people themselves. They brought in truckloads of whatever debris they could find, old batteries, old tires, old cement, concrete, to build up the soil, maybe a foot or, or maybe 18 inches above the level of the ocean. But the slum was so, so packed that we were building houses right almost to the edge of the ocean. And, and when you went back that far, they hadn't built it up so much. So if you stepped off the tubes and the tires they'd placed there, you'd sink up to your, up to your, uh, uh, your waist almost in muck. And it's a dangerous place to build. So we took our construction team back there and we prayed over the site where we were going to build that first house. Lord, would you protect the workers? Would you bless us as we do this? Would, we, you, would you allow us to show Jesus to the people for whom we're building this house? Mr. Chan and his wife had two children. She was expecting one other child. And they were living in a one-room house with two other families. And so we were to build them a house. And after we'd blessed the land, we turned away from it and we encountered... Mr. and Mrs. Chan. And so we stopped and said, can we bless you in Jesus' name? These are Hindus. But I have found that Hindus and Muslims do not refuse to be blessed in the name of Jesus. And so our team turned and began to pray for Mr. Chan. Now, Mr. Chan had been born with one leg six inches shorter than the other. He was a beggar. In Fiji, where unemployment is over 25%, he had no chance for a job. And so he begged to provide for his family and could provide very well. And so as the team turned to bless him in Jesus' name, as we laid our hands on him and prayed for his blessing, God instantly caused his leg to grow down six inches to touch the ground. He was healed. We weren't praying for healing. We were praying blessing. God healed him, and he and his wife came to the Lord. Our team did what we did, uh, did all the doctor things, all the dentist things and everything, and we went back to the States. These folk were still living in the slums. And some months after that, about eight months later, the word of this miracle had spread all over Suba, the, the, the capital of Fiji, particularly among the Hindu population. And there was a, a wealthy family. The wife was sick with a disease that could not be diagnosed, but it was causing her great pain and distress. She'd spent multitudes of money on the doctors. She'd gone to the Hindu pundits and they'd done their rituals over her. She had no relief. And she heard about this miracle. And so these rich, this rich couple made their way to the slums. And they sought out this family. And the rich people don't go into the slums. Let me tell you, it is not a safe thing to do. But they found the family and they said, could you get that pastor to pray for us? Well, oh, that pastor's not here. He's in America. Well, could you get the pastor who lives here? So they sent their kids off to find Pastor Vinod with whom we were working. Couldn't find Pastor Vinod. Half hour or so later, they came back. He's not here. Mrs. Chan, a believer for eight or nine months, is sitting there listening to this, and she says to this woman and to her husband, wait a minute, it was not the pastor who healed my husband. It was the Lord. Let me pray for you, and God will heal you. A young new believer prays for this woman. God heals her. Now, Mr. Chan, another story. His leg grew out, but his foot was still turned in. But when we came back three months after this other miracle, uh, a different team, and they encountered Mr. Chan going to his jobs because now he had two jobs. He was working, but his foot was turned in. And so our prayer team stopped and said, can we pray for you? Not knowing he was, you know, this guy. So I prayed for him. First day, nothing happened. Second day, nothing happened. My son happened to be on the team. And so they prayed for him the second day. Dad, why has nothing, nothing happened to him? Well, the next morning we came and turned out during the night his foot turned down and now he could walk just fine. God working 
through his people and doing his neat things. See, it's God, though, who is in control. It's not us. It's God. He's the one who heals. He's the one who delivers. But he allows us to have the fun of joining him in what he's doing. Nanny, if you'd show the next one. Hold on there for just a second. Nanny, over 90 years old, a Hindu woman, served the Hindu gods and goddesses all of her life. We were building her home because when I had seen her some months before, the roof of her home was more holes than it was roof. Whenever it rained, and it rains a lot in Fiji, her whole inside of her house was soaked. Her bed was soaked. Everything was soaked. See, her, her son is a doctor. But when her husband died, the son wanted to come to America, and so he just pushed his mom into the slums and came to America. And that's what Hindus do with their wives when are, are, their, are their children, the women especially, when they have no further use for them. They just abandon them. They have no responsibility for them. So Nanny was living in the slums on about $12 a month. We put a new roof on her house, and then we came to build her a new house. And Nanny was bent over incredible pain. She's got these, these migraine headaches and she described the pain as the worst kind of excruciating pain you could imagine. So the team prayed for Nanny and the headache went away. We came back the second day. Nanny, how are you doing? And she was bent over again. Her, her headache was back. Oh, Nanny, let us pray for you. We prayed for a second time and the headache went away. We came back a third day and the headaches were back again. And then the Lord gave wisdom. And we said to her, Nanny, You've been serving these gods and goddesses of Hinduism for so long. Are these gods and goddesses telling you that if you accept the Lord, if you allow him to touch you, that they will kill you? And she said, yes, that's what they're telling me. I can't give them up. Nanny, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these demons have no authority over you, no power over you, and God will set you free, and you'll not have this problem again. Nanny gave her heart to the Lord. The headaches went away. They never came back again. And I saw her recently, and although she's getting older and she's kind of losing touch with reality, she's still following her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Went to a remote island in Fiji, so remote that it's hard to get to. Uh, show this is Nanny smiling after she accepted the Lord. Next, uh, next uh, let's see, yeah, next slide. Okay, went, went to this remote island. This island's about a mile and a half long, about half a mile wide, and to get to it, we had to take a plane to one island, get in a boat, open boat, and go about two hours to go to the other island. We got into this open boat for the two-hour trip, and it started to pour rain. A storm came, and we were, we were just going up and down these swells. The motor of the boat gave out a couple times. We thought it was going to turn over. Uh, the, the Fijian people, when they're nervous, they, they laugh. And there was a lot of laughter going on in that, but they were really nervous. And I said, God, you didn't bring us here to send us to the bottom of the ocean, get us to the island. By then it was night, it was dark. And if we missed that island, the next landfall was Australia, about 2,000 miles away. And so as we're praying, we see, a, we see a bonfire on the beach. We get there, and the whole church was gathered for me to preach to them. And so I went, and graciously they allowed us to change our clothes and get a little bite to eat. It was about... 10, 10.30 by then, and I came in and I spoke to them for about 40, 50 minutes, which is about what I, that's, that's what I got today, right? No, no, not quite. <laughs> anyway, so, well, you didn't have the slide, right? So, anyway, so, so, uh, so after, after the sermon, we had to go up to the chief's house because there's this protocol involved. When you go into a Fijian village, you have to be welcomed, and there's this, there's very, there's a very strict ritual that you have to follow. They, they make good Anglicans. 
because they've got this, you know, and, and in order to be welcomed in the village. So we went through that whole ritual. The chief had been sick. That's why he hadn't come down. And so after the ritual and we were welcomed, I said, Chief James, can I pray for you that God will heal you? You did a cold. And I noticed he had cataracts in his eyes. So I prayed for his cold and flu, and I prayed for his cataracts. And then about, it was about midnight, so we went and went to bed. About 6.30 in the morning, a knock on the door where we were sleeping. The, uh, uh, Chief James was out there, big smile on his face. He said, I've just been in the ocean swimming. And then he told me the rest of the story. See, when he was sitting down the night before, he had long pants on, his legs were crossed. I didn't notice that, as he was telling me, related to the story, about nine, eight, eight nine months before, his leg began to, to deteriorate. He had lost all the muscle in his leg. He, he could hardly walk, and he couldn't go into the ocean because it was too cold, the South Pacific, and he couldn't go in because it was too cold. God healed his leg. He said, look at this. Look at this. It's just like the other one. God did it. Now, he's done his cataracts. What's that all about? But God healed his leg. God did it. And you see that woman over there? That's the other one you prayed for. And these two children, they were prayed for. And every one that we prayed for on that island, on that trip, God healed and restored. God knows people, the least and the lost, the furthest away. And that chief is a testimony to that. Now... Let's talk about some of the villages. Village of Natalera. Hold on that one for a while. Uh, there's a group called the Healing of the Land Group. It's made up primarily of teenagers and led by a guy by the name of Vuni Nakuyada. Don't, don't have to remember his name, Vuni. And Vuni takes these uh, college students and high school students. He teaches them in prayer, and they go into the villages of Fiji to set the Fijians free from the idols that they still worship, even though 90% of them would claim Christ as Savior. They're syncretic in their religion. So not a Lara village. They had two stone idols, one at each side of the entrance to the village. At night, they would hear these idols talking to each other, singing to each other, drums playing around these idols where no one was. And in that village, although they were on the ocean, when they would go to fish, the women would come back with just a handful of very small fish. They had skin lesions, skin diseases. They had malnutrition. Their crops weren't growing. And what is more, their children, their teenagers, were committing suicide on a regular basis, making pacts with each other and killing themselves. And one of the mothers, a, a boy had been found, hanging between two coconut trees, hung by his neck, dead. He couldn't have done it by himself. And the mother said, we've got to do something. She went to the elders of the village. Even though she was a woman, she went to the elders of the village and said, we've got to do something. And so they had heard of the healing of the land team. They sent to Suva, the capital. They found Vuni, my friend. By the way, I've taught in this village on microenterprise, microfinance. And they, they brought Vuni in, and Vuni said, Listen, I will only come. There's three churches here. You've been bickering with each other. You've been fighting with each other. You've not had anything, anything to do with each other. You've got to make peace with each other, and you've got to start praying for this village. And if you pray after about six weeks, I'll watch what's going on, and then my team will come in. After six weeks of prayer, Vuni sent his team in. And there were about uh, 25 of these youth, and they have to be billeted in the homes in the village. So they're in these homes and they're sitting among the, the parents and they'll say to the husband and wife, to the husband, are you cheating on your wife? Are you, are you cheating on your husband? Because adultery is very common there. You've got to get this right. You've got to repent. You've got to come back to the Lord and heal your marriage. And then to the children of the family, how are you with respect to your parents? How, how, parents, how are you treating your kids? You've got to get that right. How are you with your neighbor? How's this village with the chief? Chief, you're getting money. Are you expropriating it or are you giving it to the people like you're supposed to? You've got to get it right. God cares about relationships. 
You've got to get the relationships right. How is this village in relationship to the other villages? How are you in relationship to the government? Get it right. And over a period of about six weeks, again, through this constant prayer and self-examination, that village set itself right. Booney came and began to preach. And as Booney was preaching, the word of knowledge came to him. And Booney said, when this village gets everything right, God is going to send fire on the water and God will do something for your village. They gave communion to the land. Vuni left, the team left. The next morning, very early in the morning, the, the mother whose son had committed suicide was walking down on the beach and she saw fire out on the, on the ocean and she thought there was a boat on fire. But as she looked, she saw that the fire was close to shore and in the fire there was a, a burning wheel that was turning. There was another, uh, you can go to the next, the next slide. There was a grandmother there, uh, go, go to the next one then. There was a grand, this woman here, her daughter came to the, her granddaughter rather, came to the, to the, to the door of their, of their house, opened it up, looked out on the water, says, Granny, there's a boat burning on the, on the ocean. She says, no, that's what the man of God said. God has sent his fire. That day when the women went out to fish, you can show the next slide, there, they began to catch fish that are normally only out in the deep ocean. All the skin lesions were healed. The malnutrition was healed. Their ground, within a week, all that was brown became green as God restored that village. God doing his power. Go to the next one now. Okay, now, I went into uh, three villages most recently. These are villages that were hit by the worst flooding that Fiji has ever experienced as a nation. And those villages, the pastors were beginning to come together to ask questions about what does this mean? And I had the privilege of sitting with all of these pastors and saying, if you want the commanded blessing of God upon your villages, you've got to begin to dwell together in unity. Because when the brothers dwell together in unity, God commands his blessing according to Psalms. And they were praying in their villages from 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, prayer walking their villages. And then I began to teach them. On, we had microfinance, microenterprise. We were building them a school. And I taught them on the, on the prayer of blessing. And then after, after, after I taught them, they said, oh, we all want to be blessed. So here I am. I hadn't expected that, but I should have probably. So I got out my oil, and I began to anoint them and give them prophetic words and bless every single person. Went about my business. The next day, we had our beekeeper training them. And the, this man sitting down here, he had a heart condition. God had touched his heart the night before when I had blessed him, but his heart was still bothering him. So he wanted more prayer. So I took the opportunity to give these villagers half an hour of teaching on the power of blessing in prayer. And then I said, look, I don't want to pray for this man. You pray for him. These are people who don't believe God works today. They belong to a, a church, so that's not part of their teaching. But I taught them God works today. I told them some of the stories. They had that man sit down in the middle and they began to lay hands on him and pray. And I said, okay, I'm going to let you pray for 15 so minutes and then I'll ask. Okay, ask this man, what is God doing? The pain is, is going away. It's getting less. Okay, continue to pray. They prayed for about a half an hour and his pain was totally gone. By the way, this man couldn't walk 100 yards without, uh, he just had to stop because his heart was so bad. The next day he was able to run and, and do all kinds of things. But after that prayer, I said, okay, now we've been blessing this man what, what else did God do amongst you? Two other people had been healed. God is a God of prayer and concern. And if we let him, he will do signs and wonders and miracles. And so this man was healed. Two others were healed. True religion must reveal God. 
Christianity reveals God through Jesus Christ. All he was and all he does. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and destroying the works of the enemy. God, a communicating God, the word became flesh. The communication continues in and through us. We are to act out of his heart. I love that last course, the one before the reading of the word, the one before that. During a three-day silent fasting retreat, this is where I get direction from the Lord. Contemplative prayer, I was reading in John, and I wrote this. Lord, you've said I'm your son. I totally accept you as my father. I need to see as Jesus saw in order to do as Jesus did. This is your desire for me. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let me see with your compassion and love and mercy so that out of right vision and right motive, I will serve you, your son, Ken. We all need his compassion, his love, his mercy. And with that vision, we can fulfill Isaiah 58, 5 through 14, to build his kingdom by helping the poor. We built a women's training center. You see this house here? That's where the pastor lived, in the worst crime area in Fiji. And in that house, he had 11 people living with him because he could not turn anyone away. And that was the woman's center. Show the next slide. And so we built them a woman's center. We built them a community center. In that, in that neighborhood, any girl 16 years old is going to be pregnant by the time she's 16. And as we built that center, the youth put the, put the poles into the ground. I wanted to get an auger to dig through the shale. Two youth digging every hole, working for 10 days. Young people who normally pickpocket or, or rob taxi drivers. And after it was all over, the pastor that we built the house for took these kids into the city and they bought clothes. And some of them were crying and they said, Pastor, this is the first time we've been able to buy clothes with money that we earned ourselves. We want to earn money, but we can't find jobs. What can we do? God having a heart of love and compassion. In our outreaches over eight years, we've uh, helped 14,781 people medically. We've helped 1,791 dental patients. You know, in a village where there's no dental care, you know what Jesus looks like? He looks like a dentist. We've given out 6,477 pairs of reading glasses, and we've had 1,728 people come to Christ for the first time. 954 of these were Hindu, Muslim, or Sikh. A missiologist from Fuller says that there's seven things happening in the world today. The greatest harvest of souls the world has ever known. More people have come to Christ in the last ten years than in all the history of Christianity up until then. By conversion growth, Christianity is the fastest growing religion on earth. In the last five years, more than 300 million people have come to Christ. It's the greatest manifestation of spiritual power in human history, the greatest unity of the body of Christ, the greatest worldwide prayer movement, the greatest change in doing church, the greatest influence of third world churches in the world, and the greatest technological advances in human history. I used to work in Kenya doing a Bible translation project, worked among the people called the Endomotoquet. The Endomarquette are incredibly accurate with throwing stones and shooting arrows, and they make these kinds of arrows right here. Every arrow made with loving care for a specific purpose. This one they use for killing snakes. They hit a snake, the little tip breaks off, and the snake will die. This one they use for hunting birds. 
this one they use for hunting monkeys. Uh, this one they use for small animals, like deer. This one they use for elephants. They'll put poison on it, shoot an elephant, wait a half an hour, the elephant will die, and then they'll go and get the elephant meat. And this one they use when they're hunting each other, when they're fighting each other. But each one of these arrows has been lovingly handcrafted by an artisan with a specific purpose in mind. And these arrows are exactly like you. God has made you with a specific purpose in mind. God has designed you for specific functions on this earth. You know these arrows, they're not, they're not, they don't go out by themselves. There is a bow that casts these arrows toward their target. You don't go out by yourself. I don't go out by myself. I'm sent by his church. I'm blessed by his church. I go in his name. Why? Because the one thing that a religion has got to do and do successfully, if it's going to succeed, is to clearly show who God is. We show who God is through the things that God does. Go on to the last slide. We take a lot of, go on, keep going. We take a lot of, keep going. Uh, this man here, just want to talk about him, and then I'm done. His name is James. His wife went with me twice on mission. And he has a disease that makes him very awkward in social situations. He doesn't like change. He doesn't like things to be uh, difficult. And yet he wanted to see the nation that his wife loved and served. She died of cancer uh, after the last trip she took over with us. And so Jim said, Ken, can I go with you? Jim went. You see him crossing a swollen river on a horse. He had to eat food he wasn't used to. He had to do things he wasn't used to. He wasn't comfortable in these situations. But God brought him through. We've taken 11-year-olds, 83-year-olds, people with mental retardation. God will use anyone who he thrusts out into his kingdom. And through you and through those of this church, God will do the miraculous. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.